everyone is happier when the dog is obedient. And previous dogs I've had were not nearly as smart nor nearly as stubborn as Noah is. So, we have enlisted the assistance of a professional dog trainer. And she's really helping me get some results. So for example, now, Nola and I can go on walks, and there's no pulling, there's no running ahead. She doesn't try to take off after everything. She just walks at my side, you know, we just go, and if I stop the corner, she just sits. She waits for me to go again. We're walking one day, a couple blocks from the house, and there's this dog in a neighbor's yard. And they must have had one of those, it wasn't tied up or anything, they must have had one of those invisible fences, but it was just going crazy right as we were walking past. And I just kind of stopped, and Nola sat down and just kind of stared at the dog. And normally in the old days, she would have ripped my arm out of my socket practically trying to go after that dog. You know, it's sort of like me trying to keep up with Marissa Deadlift and suffer the consequences later on. But this time, she just sat there quietly while that dog was just yapping up a storm. You see, an obedient dog is good for everyone. And I'd like to argue this morning that for us, also, obedience is a wonderful thing. It's something where, where everybody benefits. There's no downside to an obedient dog, and there is no downside to an obedient Christian. Now, I realize when I say that, obedience to anything in our modern world is really not in vogue these days. You watch TV shows, right, and they, de they depict cool kids disobeying their, you know, parents. What do parents know? They disobey them and they just their parents just don't get it, right? So they do their thing. How many how many movies, honestly, do we watch? We don't, you know, where where it's glorified that somebody they these heroes disobey the law, forget people's rights to a trial and all this kind of stuff. They just go out and get the bad guys, right? I mean, you and I would admit that I've said more than one time. You know, normally in jest, but the laws were made to be broken, right? I mean, okay, that's kind of the attitude. Forget obedience. Well, last week we looked at how Jesus himself modeled humility for us. And we saw how while he existed from before the creation of the world, in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit, he took on flesh and he became a servant. And then recall verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2 told us about Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient point of death, even death on a cross. The one aspect of humility is obedience. For Jesus, that was obedience to the overall plan of God for the salvation of, of us, which required his death on the cross. Now in this next section, Paul is going to elaborate a little bit on that idea of obedience. Verse 12 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain 
will labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now you'll notice here, in verse 12, we get the idea that Christ's obedience is going to be our model. I remember what an old preacher once said, whenever you see the therefore, you need to look back and see what the therefore is there for. Anybody else ever heard that? Yeah. Must be a lot of old preachers. See, I'm an old preacher now, so I can say that. When I was a young preacher, I couldn't say that. Now I'm old. So here, therefore, connects us to Christ modeling humility and obedience for us, and how he came as a servant for our salvation. That was the previous section. So now we get to this therefore. Therefore, because of this model of Christ, how he modeled humility and obedience, we have to do something. His obedience to the plan of salvation was even to his death, with the reward of exaltation coming after humility and obedience. So Paul uses this, and he, said, he reminds the Philippians that they had obeyed God when he was with them, and now even more they should obey that he's absent from them. You see, Paul realizes our obedience at times is conditional. I'll give you an example of that. If I'm driving, and I come to a four-way stop, and there's a police car across the four-way stop from me at the other stop sign, I'm going to make sure that I stop really, really well. I'm going to stop. You know, you're going to feel the car roll back a little tiny bit when I stop. That sort of thing, right? Unlike sometimes when I come to a four-way stop and there's no one else there, and perhaps, perhaps my stop is not as complete as it should be. Perhaps the wheels continue to roll a tiny, tiny bit. Who looks? Right? No one else ever does that. Conditional obedience, right? quite as well when the police are standing right there. My dog sometimes has conditional obedience. If I'm in the room right there with the dog, okay, and the neighbor's dog is yapping wildly, which happens 24 hours a day pretty much, because the neighbor's dog constantly barks, Nola doesn't bark. But if I'm in my office and Nola is out in the front room and she hears the neighbor's dog yapping, it's a bark fest. <laughs> because she feels she needs to defend the realm from yappy rat terriers. You ever notice that the amount the dog barks is inversely proportional to its size? The smaller it is, the more it won't shut up. So anyway, disobedience matters. Because of what Paul says next, he tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I imagine when you read that, you sort of, you sort of, I mean, if you're, if you're been around church for a while, you, you kind of want to object to that, because you want to say, wait a minute, I don't like any time that, any time I see the word work and I see the word salvation in the same sentence, I don't like that. Bad. We know that salvation is by the grace of God, shown to us through Jesus, not by any sort of works. I already, the New Testament points that out. It's completely true. We know that. 
But I would also remind us that God's stated goal for us, according to Romans 8.29, is that we would become like Jesus. Once we've placed our faith in Jesus' person and his work, once we've given our allegiance to the King of Kings, and we've transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, there's a new path before us. And the end goal of that path is not just eternal life with God in a new creation, although that's part of it. You're going to get that. I'm looking forward to that. I don't need to go to the gym anymore in the new creation. I will not. It's not just fire insurance, although you get that too. The end goal is to become like Jesus. And in this life, becoming like Jesus requires some effort on our part. Once we have passed from death to life, God expects us to continue on a path of growth into Christ-likeness. So Paul can say, work out our salvation. He never says, work for your salvation, because that would be impossible. We've been saved through the blood of Jesus. But now we need to work out what that means for us as individuals in light of what Jesus has done. Through Jesus, we are, as Romans puts it, we're, we're justified. We're, we're made righteous before God in a positional sense. But you know what? Some days I'm not so righteous in an actual sense. Apparently, especially before we stop. But I am no longer under the law of sin and death. But under the law of the Spirit. But that initial salvation is just setting me on the path of growth. The rest of it takes time and work. So Paul tells us from that initial starting point of salvation, in humility, we're to do the work God calls us to as part of becoming more like Jesus. And that happens through this word that we don't like, obedience. Remember when Jesus called the disciples, right? He's resurrected. It's the end of, you know, it's going to get ready to go back to heaven pretty quick. And he calls them together, and it's Matthew chapter 28, and, and he, he gives them the mission, right? This is all very familiar to all of us. Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Called the Great Commission, the Great Mission, you call it whatever you want. We're to make disciples of all the nations of people. Well, how is that done? Well, he tells us. First, we've got to go. By going to them. Because you know what? They're not beating down our doors. So we go. Wherever we can. We go in our own homes. And we go at work. And in the community. And, and we partner with people to the ends of the earth. I just prayed for Carlos and Sarah, who are partners with us, going to some place that I'll not get to in this lifetime, I'm sure. Maybe, but probably not. Glad that they go. We can support them. So everywhere we're going, right? 
Paul, what is that? That's the public point commitment, right? Baptizing is when the disciples are declaring their faith and identifying with Jesus and his church. Now, just as an aside, to me, Jesus' words here are a strong argument against infant baptism. Because a baby can't identify with Jesus and his church. A baby can't identify with anything except one above. But it's a conscious choice to identify with Jesus and his church. So the next thing is the crucial thing we want to get to here. The teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Observe is from a word that has its root meaning to guard. Like if you have a great treasure, you watch over it to make sure no one steals it, right? So smog is going to guard the treasure from those pesky dwarves. You like the hobbits? No one likes the hobbits? I don't I just want to know how he's managed to turn one book into three movies. It's like,
to remember. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I try to obey sometimes, I find out rather quickly there is resistance. My flesh resists the effort to obey. Other people create resistance in how they might treat us or think of us, right? I really want to love that person, but they're just mean and nasty. And so my flesh wants to punch them in the nose. But I know that's not Jesus' way. That is not how you love your neighbor. primarily by the work of his spirit inside us, right? His spirit guides and teaches us. He gives us wisdom. He intercedes in our prayers, right? Romans 8. He's intimately involved in making us like Jesus. One of the best places we see this is in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, right, made like Jesus, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformation comes from the Spirit. The Spirit brings freedom. What is that freedom? That freedom is freedom to be transformed. It's the freedom to become like Jesus instead of being locked into our old way of living. We're being transformed through the work of the Spirit so we can be like Jesus which is glorious and reflects his glory. How are people going to see the glory of the Lord? They will see it when it's displayed in us as we become more like him by cooperating with the work of his spirit in us. Well, how does that all happen? How does the spirit work in our daily lives? Well, I'm going to give you another dog analogy because I like dog analogies. So I have for Nola, at the recommendation of our trainer, a Sprenger collar. Does anybody know what a Sprenger collar is? A Sprenger collar is this collar made of these weird little links, and they have little pointy things on the inside. Now, they're not sharp pointy things, so don't think it's like that. Okay, it's not, it's not, 
sharp. They're rounded, actually. Okay. They're just sort of annoying to the dog, especially when your dog has fur that thick. But when we're out for a walk, if she gets too far ahead, those little pointy things that aren't really pointy, they're just rounded. They kind of they kind of pinch a little bit if she gets a little too far ahead. And the little pokey ends poke into her, and then guess what? She stops trying to pull ahead. Or if she does something she's not supposed to, we're out on a walk or we're working on some training, I just issue a firm note, give it just a little tug, and it just tightens for a second, and reminds her that I'm the boss. My wife tried to put that thing on me the other day. Christ has done 
in humbling himself even to death in our place, we are to obey him with joy. Sometimes we don't want to be loving, especially to somebody who's really pushing our buttons. But he says, do it joyfully anyway, knowing the Spirit will help. Sometimes I don't want to engage in the spiritual disciplines that are the tools God has given us to help us become more like Jesus. But you know what? We're going to do it joyfully anyway. Let the Spirit help. Sometimes, sometimes I don't want to go serve someone or help them in their need. But you know what? I'm going to do it any, joyfully anyway. And ask the Spirit to fill me with love and joy in the obeying. Now what's the purpose of that? Because when we live out of joyful obedience, if you live in our grumbling obedience, nobody's going to find that very attractive. Anybody that's had kids, you know, you know what that's like. The kids obey, but they grumble about it the entire time. Well, that doesn't impress me. But when we're living out of joyful obedience, we're told here that we are like bright lights against the glaring darkness of this world. You know, a dark room is just dark. You light a candle in a really dark room, and it's a stark contrast to all the darkness around it. You light several, you can brighten up the whole room. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about being bright lights because we joyfully obey Jesus. Now, I'd also like to point out that for Paul, the emphasis here is on doing. It's our joyful act of obedience that stands out. He does not say preach, tell. He says do. Obedience is a doing thing. Now, the doing might earn us the opportunity to tell, but the light comes first from us living out the joyful obedience. That creates the contrast with the darkness of the world when I'm joyfully obeying Christ. Platitudes, condemnations, that stuff doesn't change things. telling other people they're going to burn in hell does much to motivate anybody to want anything to do with Christ. But I think people living with joyful obedience does do things to motivate people to want to know Christ. You know, God wants every one of us in this room to become more like Jesus. One of the biggest factors in becoming more like Jesus is simply us learning to obey all he's commanded us. In his written word, our living word has left us what we need to know. Everything, everything you need to know so you can think and speak and act like Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what being Christ-like is, right? I'm just going to think and speak and act like Jesus. Man, if only for that easy. Turn it on, just always think and speak and act like Jesus. But actually, it's work. But He's put His Spirit in each of our hearts to help us with that work of transformation. Because God is dead serious about us becoming more like Jesus and also desiring that we have joy in that journey of becoming like Jesus. And that joyful transformation, Paul tells us, 
could have made us shine like stars on a beautiful, dark, clear country night in the midst of all the darkness around us. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your spirit and for your word because it is those two things that together give us so much of what we need to obey Jesus, to become like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus is just learning to obey Jesus in all things, learning to do it joyfully. So we would ask that you would help us this week to be a little more like Jesus, to obey him a little more, to do a little more of all that he this is